I, w- I want to, before we go into announcements, maybe just read. I was reading this morning Psalm 73, and it really encouraged me, and I feel like it actually goes with um, with the sermon as well. So if you would read with me, I'm going to put it here on the screen. Let's see if this works. Fingers crossed. Never mind. We got God on our side. Um, here we go. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 28. I just want to read this together. It says, You're truly... God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, and I love this psalm, by the way, because it's the just the the honesty in this psalm, the thoughts in this psalm. But here's, here it goes. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there uh, knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, Um, When I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. That's the word of God. It encouraged me this morning because the honesty of the psalmist, just writing about what he sees in the world, he sees that the people who are not particularly godly, who are actually pretty wicked and mocking God, and for some reason, God allows them to prosper and to be good and, and to, to gain in riches and so on and so forth. And he's just honestly asking God, why is it that the wicked get to inherit so much wealth and so on and so forth? And then he gets to the conclusion that truly all their reward is truly only in this life that what is to come they don't have uh, they don't have the hope of eternity they have only this momentary life and uh, they don't have God walking with them through everything and so today is actually we're going to be jumping later on into Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 5 and it's going to be about suffering 
Uh, but I, I've titled the message that may be a little bit weird, you know, especially considering that this is a passage where James the Apostle is being murdered and so on. Uh, I've titled the passage to to live in the moment, but not for the moment. Let's pray together, and uh, especially as we go into study God's word, and let's be encouraged by by Acts chapter twelve together, so that so that God can work through that. Let's remember that worship, you know, like I grew up basically calling music, the musical part of the service, the worship part, and then we moved on to the preaching and so on and so forth. But let's remember uh, Romans 12, that our worship is all of our life. So when we sing, yes, we are worshiping, but also when we use the minds that God gave us to study his word, when we allow that to transform our hearts, we are worshiping God. When we are obedient to his word, we are worshiping God. When we are giving, we are worshiping God. When we are serving our neighbors, we are worshiping God. So let's remember that all of life is worship. So let's, as we go into this part of worship, which is the study of God's word, ask God to prepare our minds and prepare our hearts so that we would be equipped for every good work that he has called us to. Uh, Join me in praying. Father, I thank you so much for your revealed word to us that you have allowed us to know you, that you have revealed yourself to us. Yes, you could have allowed us just to know you generally, to see your creation and see that you are a great God, that you are a magnificent God, that you are a powerful God. But through your word, we realize also that you are a righteous God, that you're a righteous judge, but also that you're our defender. Father, as we dive into your word, as we as we dive into the holy history, the holy heritage that we have, which is the church in Acts chapter 12, and we see the sacrifice of some of our brothers that came before us, and we think about the last 2,000 years, history being scattered with brothers and sisters who sacrificed greatly to get the Bible into a language that normal people could understand, those who, who, who risked their lives and gave their lives in order to reach pagan people like my ancestors. Man, we, we realize that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And Father, as we think about the sacrifice of James and the faithfulness of Peter, as we think about that, God, may we be equipped to follow in their footsteps to not only be thankful for the people of the sacrifices that came before us, but also be willing to make sacrifices. God, may we learn to uh, live in the moment to the fullest by not living for the moment. Father, be with us. Equip us. Encourage us. And bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, or if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, you're welcome to watch this. I'm actually really glad that you're watching here with us. Uh, Let's dive into the word. We're going to be diving into Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. So let me just put that here on the screen. Again, trying to learn on this program. Here we go. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 5. About that time... James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for uh, prayer for him was made to God by the church. By the church, I find that interesting because. When we think about the church, uh, a lot of people actually, when they think about the church, they think about a building or a location. But this is reminding us that there's not a building or a location that's praying for Peter. The church is the gathering of the people. That's actually the Greek word ekklesia is the gathering is more of a, a more direct translation of that word. Now, we pick up in the book of Acts where Christian, the Christian church is increasingly not only expanding and seeing conversions happening and and the church growing and and flourishing, but it's also experiencing new levels of seemingly ever-increasing persecution and hatred from the world that it's ministering to. Now, it's very interesting to note that in our natural mind, when we hear about, you know, the church growing and flourishing, we almost think of it as being mutually exclusive or totally opposite of the church suffering or being persecuted, um, right? Why, why would anyone want to convert to a faith that, uh, that people want to kill you for? Why would anyone want to belong to a family that is so universally hated as we see here in the text that when they killed James, the crowd was joyful? Why would anyone convert to that. And so in, in, in the natural mind, I wouldn't blame people for, for seeing these two things as mutually exclusive. On one hand, you've got persecution, trials, suffering, and then during other periods of the church's life, that's when it grows and it flourishes. But what we see here is that God seemingly chooses to work in the church and through the church and build up his church in this straining period this trial, this suffering, much like a, a muscle that not only needs the rest to grow, but it also needs periodically to be strained and then to grow after the straining. The church is growing while it's being killed, while it's being reviled, while it's being hated. And it's weird because it doesn't go according to our natural thoughts, right? And I, I think that in this passage, we actually learn a real and valuable lesson on how to live in the moment, but not for the moment, right? And instead, we live in the moment, because I'm thinking about James here, right? He's, he's making a sacrifice where he's willing to sacrifice his life. And it's a very popular saying to be in the here and now, to live in the moment, carpe diem, YOLO, you know, whatever you want to call it. That's a really popular thought nowadays. And when I hear these like modern proverbs come out, I always want to compare them to scriptures. Like, well, is it really true that we should always live in the moment? And I think about James here, who's, who's looking at being murdered for his faith, for his faithfulness to Jesus, for doing a good thing. And I, I think to myself, did he live in the moment? 
could you truly enjoy living in the moment being James at this period looking at the sword that's going to chop your head off and I, I do think that ultimately what this teaches us is that when we see our current moment in context with eternity that is the only truly only true time that we can actually enjoy the moment to the fullest that we can actually flourish in the moment because we see you know even when we are faced with a sword that's going to cut our head off like james is or a peter that's being threatened after seeing his brother in the faith being murdered and now him being in jail he can still have hope because he sees that in this moment when he's in this jail cell surrounded by a bunch of guards that this is not all there is he sees this in context to eternity he sees this and remembers that if he dies he will see his savior face to face yet again. So uh, we've titled our sermon series going through the book of Acts, We Are Witnesses. And that's very intentional. And, and like, for instance, do you know the word martyr? We generally think when we hear the word martyr, we think of someone who died for their faith or maybe died for their ideology or something that they believed in, they become a martyr. But that word martyr is actually a Greek word. That And, and when you translate martyr over to English, that word actually means witness. So when we, tra- when we, when we call our sermon series, we are witnesses, you know, if you lose, if you use the Greek there in the end, you could actually say we are martyrs. And so here in our text, we see James as the second martyr, uh, uh, the, actually the martyr in our modern context, who dies for the faith that we know of in the book of Acts. There may have been more. But anyways, before we move on to, to that, let me, let me just dive into the text a little bit and explain it to you. So we pick up in verse 1. Uh, verse 1 is talking about this guy named Herod. Now, this is Herod Agrippa. The the thing about this period is that there are a bunch of Herods out there that can get really confusing really fast. So, he, Herod Agrippa, the guy in this text, is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, now imagine... Imagine being named Herod and be always have to qualify yourself. Oh, I'm Herod. Not, not, not the great. That's my, that's my granddad. I'm just the regular Herod. Anyways, I, I just find that funny. Uh, Herod the Great is the guy who tries to kill Jesus at his birth in Bethlehem. He tries to, and he murders a bunch of young kids under the age of two to try to stop Jesus from, uh, you know, being called the king of the Jews. He wanted to be called the king of the Jews. And this Herod Agrippa is the nephew of another Herod called Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, he was the Herod at Jesus' trial. Uh, So there's a bunch of Herods here in this context relating to the life of Jesus, and it can be super confusing. Just know that these are three different Herods. But I wanted to highlight this because this Herod, he's got reasons for persecuting the church. His reasons are very different from his grandfather, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was threatened by Jesus being called King of the Jews while he was being called King of the Jews. So he wanted to take out the competition in a sense. Now Herod Agrippa is simply seemingly persecuting the church to gain popularity among the Jews. He's doing this for political reasons and political gain. And you see that throughout history, 
you've had the church suffer in various different ways under various different hands. And there have been so many people that uh, give different reasons for killing the church or hating the church or hating the faith. Um, you have some who persecute the church for popularity, like Herod Agrippa here. You have others who do it out of ideology or difference in faith or difference in philosophy. And here you could take as an example all the Christian brothers and sisters who have suffered under communism the world over um, because our faith actually poses a threat to a system like communism, which demands that you know our highest allegiance be to a nation or a political party or something like that. Once you have our faith where our highest allegiance is always to Jesus, not to any particular flag or not to any particular government, then that is a threat for that type of system. And so many have persecuted the church because of that threat throughout history. Um, Others simply have persecuted the church due to sadistic and brutal tendencies or, or using the church as a scapegoat. Here I'm thinking about uh, uh, Emperor Nero who starts killing Christians around 68 AD in, in brutal fashion. And he bl basically blames Christians for burning down the city of Rome, uh, which most historians actually think he himself burned down the city. So you have these groups of people, these rulers throughout history that try to justify killing and persecuting the church. And they all fail to justify uh, what they're doing because in the end, it's just exposed to being incredibly sinful and disgusting and a rebellion against God. But what you have in all those different contexts is it doesn't really matter who's the ruler or what his reasons are for killing Christians. Throughout history, we've had faithful brothers and sisters who have been witnesses of the worth of Jesus Christ by willingly dying instead of denouncing their faith. They were incredible witnesses. Now, in verse 2, we see that this is the second person in the book of Acts that's recorded dying for their faith so far. First, we had Stephen, who was a deacon in the church, who was stoned to death. And now here we have James, who is actually one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, up until this point, the church had been growing at an exponential rate. A lot of Jewish people are coming to faith, and now Gentile people are coming to faith as well. Things are looking on the up and up and looking fantastic. But then all of a sudden, James is murdered for his faith. And it is a stark reminder for the church in this context that there is still a very brutal and hateful enemy out there and a broken and sinful world out there that is in rebellion against what God is doing and does not want to see uh, that come to fruition. And even the 12 disciples of Jesus are not exempt from this suffering. Uh, actually, when you read church history and you look at the tradition of how the apostles died, 11 out of 12 of them were murdered pretty brutally, right? And, and in being murdered brutally for their faith and, not, and refusing to, to give up or renounce Jesus Christ, they laid an example for the early church that Jesus Christ was not only worth living for, he was worth dying for if the situation called for it. Because they were viewing their life, living in the moment, uh, right? But in context with eternity. 
seeing the eternal reward, seeing Jesus face to face, and ultimately seeking above everything else to be faithful witnesses and faithful servants to Jesus. Now, I have to stop for a moment and ask myself, if the modern church has been doing a great job in preaching a Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that these guys thought was worth dying for, has the modern church been really doing a great job of preaching a Jesus that's worth living for and worth dying for? Meaning not, you know, that we need to somehow make up a new version of Jesus. But the question basically revolves around this. Has the modern church been good at presenting Jesus as who he truly is? Are we doing a good job at holding on to and preaching a message of Jesus who is worth living for and worth dying for? Now, there are many people out there who seek to tame Jesus. To make him more palatable, more approvable, more calm, more appropriate, more easygoing, more like us, sinful humanity. And in doing that, in trying to tame this lion that is Jesus, in trying to make him more palatable and, and make him more calm and appropriate, we actually remove the reasons that made him so great to begin with that he was willing to speak to a culture that was so broken and he was worth living for and dying for because he came to die for us because he came not just as a moral teacher not just as another philosopher or something like that as as many christians today want to present jesus that is the tame version of jesus he came as a judge and as a savior he came to save us. He came to lay down his life for us so that we would live for him. But this version of Jesus that so many try to present as just a moral teacher or a great philosopher, it's not a Jesus worth dying for. It's not the biblical Jesus. In many cases, it's not Jesus worth living for. Now, what's interesting here is who is being killed? It's James, the brother of John. Now, why, the reason I find this interesting is because you, if you go to Matthew chapter 20, I think it's verse 20, yeah, verse 20 to 23, you have this weird scenario where the disciples aren't really understanding why jesus is there he he's talking about a kingdom and so they're they're thinking very much in just physical terms like oh there's going to be a castle somewhere he's going to set up uh you know a government here and now um and and it, it's this weird scenario where james and john seem to recruit their mom to talk to jesus on their behalf to try to say to jesus hey when you become a king in your kingdom, can you give these guys impressive ranks in your kingdom? Can they be glorified with you? And, and Jesus asks her, do, do you know what that means? He's, he's really asking that. Do you know what that means? Do you think that they will be able to drink from the cup that I drink from? Meaning, do you think they will be able to suffer as I'm going to suffer? And these guys, not understanding what he's talking about, say, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I just want to be highly ranked in your kingdom. I want to be impressive, right? 
Well, Jesus tells them after that that only God the Father decides whom he will give honor and whom, whom he won't. But then he says this to them, I will allow you to drink from the cup that I will drink from. He points to James, says, I will allow you to suffer like I will suffer. And then here in our text, we see that James is being beheaded for his faith. Now, in an odd way, in a very odd way, this could be an encouragement that God, again, is faithful to his word, his promise. He is faithful in the good and he's faithful in the bad. Now, I know that many people sort of roll their eyes when I go into history. I, I kind of love reading about history. And there's this guy in the fourth century called Eusebius. Eusebius, this is a period where church has finally gotten a long stretch where they're not being persecuted and killed and their writings are not being burnt and scriptures are not being burnt and so on and so forth. And Eusebius is one of the first church historians in the first centuries. He's trying to uh, gather all of the stories of what's happened in the first you know, 300 years of the church leading up to his day and age. And he writes uh, his book uh, on church history. And in his second book on that, in chapter 9, he actually refers to the death of James. And he gives some extra details. And he refers to Clement, who was one of the church fathers in the second century, born around 150 AD. And he writes about his writing. And so I, I just want to read that a little bit to you, what Eusebius says here. Um, let's go over here. <clears throat> he, he's referring to Clement, states that a man who led James before the court was so moved when he saw him testify that he himself confessed that he was a Christian. Then they were both led away, and along the way he asked forgiveness for himself from James. He looked at him briefly, peace be with you, he said, and he kissed them, and thus both were beheaded together. That is a little more detail about how James was, uh, I mean, this is not inspired scriptures, it was not fully reliable, but a little bit of an insight on how James possibly died. His witness, his testimony, his words at the trial, his firm faith in Jesus Christ was so compelling to the guard that was guarding him that the guard decided to take up this Christian faith and die with him. Asking him for forgiveness and James basically saying, peace be with you, I forgive you. And then they were both beheaded together. Now, another interesting thing, when James dies, you don't see the church doing what happens when Judas dies. When Judas dies to try to fill his position as a, the 12th apostle, try to find another guy to fill his position. When James dies as a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, there is no attempt to try to fill in the gap that he leaves. Now, then we go to verses 3 to 5, and we see that Herod is not like Saul. Saul persecuted the church for wrongly held, but sincerely held, uh, religious reasons. His, his motives, Herod, are purely politically motivated. Herod is planning to, you know, he's planning the execution of Peter like a PR stunt for his political popularity. And he's taking extra precautions because apparently now the apostles have this reputation of being slippery like fish, right? Because there have been a, a few, a few, few jail, jailbreaks, right? 
So he puts four squads of soldiers, some with him in the cell, chained to him possibly, others outside of his cell trying to protect the cell if anyone tries to break in. And uh, so he wants to basically keep him there until the moment is just right when he's got the attention of all the people. And then he wants to murder Peter like he did with James and gain more popularity among the Jewish people that he is over. Now today, as we think through this text, my hope for us is that we would have more of a biblical view of hardship and the good that can come from hardship. And I want us to know sometimes that sometimes comfort can be our greatest curse. And I know that that goes against so much of just modern secular thinking. And I know that that goes against uh, what some church traditions and church uh, denominations try to preach that, you know, God wants you to always be comfortable, to always be wealthy and healthy and prosperous and so on and so forth. Um, but I, I want us to realize a biblical view of hardship that sometimes through hardship, God can work incredibly he can build us up. He can build his church. He can work paradoxically. You know, that seems like, man, this is definitely not going to be a period where the church is doing great. But then again, it happens. So I'm thinking about this COVID time where like we can't be together. I'm getting frustrated. Everyone is isolated. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is bad. This is going to be bad for us all. But then I'm reading this text and I'm remembering, man, in all circumstances, God works together for our good. He is still building his church. He is still expanding his kingdom. He is still in control. And then sometimes our greatest curse can be our comfort. Now, going back to what I said before, the word martyr, meaning witness. Now, how is it that the Apostle James can be considered a witness here? Because we literally have his voice being silenced. He, his life is snuffed out. He is no longer there to voice his opinions, to preach his messages. Well, in reality, what's happening here, James being willing to lay down his life, is James actually speaking louder than any sermon he could give with this final act of his life, being willing to die for being a follower of Jesus, this is one of the greatest and most severe and trusted testimonies a person can give towards others to say, Jesus is worth it all, even if it costs me my comfort, even if it costs me my, my material gains, even if it costs me my own head. Jesus is worth it all. And these acts of the apostles did have exactly that effect. Contrary to just common sense, seemingly, the church did not shrink when the leaders were beheaded and murdered, ridiculed and killed because they stood firm in confessing Jesus while being offered, say, hey, just say that Caesar is Lord. Just say that there are other gods. Just denounce Jesus and this suffering will stop. The fact that they didn't was the greatest testimony of all that Jesus was worth it all, even physical pain. Because they lived in the moment, but they li didn't live for that moment. They saw that moment in context with eternity. 
more people came to faith because of the witness of Stephen and James and others who are willing to die as followers of Jesus. And sometimes, like Jesus, like we read this with Stephen, he was praying for the people who were killing him and murdering him. And I, I bet that raised a lot of questions for the people that watched that. Like, what is up with this? Like, this new religion, this system of faith is more than just a system of faith. There's something weird about this group of people. Their love for even the guys throwing stones at them, praying for God to forgive them. Like, what is going on here? This was a great, great testimony of the power of God to transform our hatred into love, our stony hearts into fleshly hearts that love Jesus and love like Jesus. Now, this testimony of the apostles was so effective that Tertullian, who was another big guy in the second century, one of the, the fathers of the faith, one of the, one of the big, big name pastors in the second century, he coined this phrase. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs, the blood of the witnesses, is the seed of the church. That when blood is spilled for the faith, what he saw was that the church didn't shrink, it didn't shrivel up and die, it grew. How crazy is that? And I'm thinking... Can that truly be the case? Because, yeah, I'm like, I'm reading these pages, but it just seems like stories that someone made up. But can that truly be the case? And then I think about our modern context. And I think about the places where our faith used to be super strong. Places that many people considered to be Christian countries, like, or Christian continents, even, like Europe. Many people just view Europe as being a Christian continent. And look how weak the actual church is. Like you look at our modern context and you ask yourself, where is the church growing the most? It's actually in the most difficult places to be a Christian. It's actually in places like China and India and places where being a Christian can cost you not only socially, uh, not only physical uh, material gains and comfort, but sometimes your life. Like people still today are dying for the faith. They are still dying instead of, refu instead of denouncing Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what's happening there is that Tertullian is right. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There, the church is growing the most. And here in the West, in Europe, where we are comfortable, we are not growing really at all. I, I feel that sometimes... Our comfort is our greatest disadvantage. Because we are so comfortable, it's, it's difficult for us to even just tell someone about the faith because of small implications like, oh, they might not like me afterwards, or this conversation may be weird or strange to them, or I may lose a friend's, or I may be ridiculed for my faith. And because of our comfort, even small steps like that are difficult to make. Meanwhile, we have brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world that literally give up their lives to follow Jesus instead of denouncing him. Now, when I hear this, what people have sacrificed throughout the years, being for faced with death, with torture, with imprisonment, with being 
away from their families for years at a times in a prison, suffering faithfully for Jesus instead of denouncing him. I think about our context because ultimately you can believe that God never intends for you to go through trials as long as you just have enough faith or something like that. But that is simply not the case. Actually, when, when you read the Bible, you start realizing that the Bible actually promises you trials in this life. Like Jesus in John 16, says, in the world, you will have tribulations. You will have tribulations. That is Jesus promising us we will have difficulty in this life. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. You know, in that moment, don't just live in that moment. View it in context with eternity. Don't live for that moment. James as well, that's a different James. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who writes the book of James in the Bible, says in chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. When you meet them. Not if you meet them. He's, he's saying there are going to be trials that come in this life. Peter, who is suffering in our passage today, in his, his epistle, 1 Peter 4.12, says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So if you're out there and you've been taught that if you're a Christian, if, if you are a faithful Jesus follower, you're never going to face trials or difficulty in this life, let me just tell you, it is a lie. It's, it's against what the Bible teaches us. The Bible actually promises us that we will suffer in some kinds. But now I look at our context and I look at the West and the church in the West and I, I see mostly comforts and not trials. And I ask myself the question, if that is the case, and God has promised us trials, and it promised us that there will be trials for us to be faithful followers of Jesus, we must accept the trials. What are we doing wrong? Is that really the price I pay? Or in trying to tame Jesus and control him and calm him down, have we actually watered the, the, the gospel down to such a, such a point that we are no longer even willing to make the smallest sacrifices? How often do we pray for, for God to build his church? That people would come to faith, that there would be a great awakening like we've seen throughout church history. And then I ask myself, are we really willing to carry the same cost as the people who came before us? Who pray to pray like the people who came to, before us, to serve like the people who came to for, before us, to, to give up our lives like the people who came before us? When we pray for God to do amazing things, are we willing to go wherever he leads us and just to be faithful to his word? God has blessed us in so many ways. So much so that I'm starting to fear like, like, that, like we're in Romans chapter 1. God has blessed us with so many created things, with resources, with food, with technology. And just like Romans 1, when, when God blesses our, our countries with material comforts, we start worshiping the created and not the creator. 
Right? Look at the most prosperous countries in the world today. Look at their flags, for instance. A lot of them have a cross in their flag that points to some sort of Christian heritage where the church was faithful and it, it built up a system that has blessed the country immensely. And like here in Iceland, the church used to be the social services, the, ch the church used to be the school system, the church used to be the, the, the healthcare system. That is that that set up all this stuff that we get to enjoy nowadays. But what have we done when God blessed us with so much comfort? We have started worshiping the created things instead of the creator. Believe it or not, comfort can actually be a curse. Like in Romans 1, the judgment of God is not that he stops the blessings, stops or stops the, the people in enjoying the created things, is that he gives them over to their idolatry, to their sinfulness, to their horrible behavior. And much like Psalm 73 before, you know, where they gain riches, the wicked, and they mock God, eventually they will face the judgment of God. Like Romans 1, 24, um, here it tells us, let me just turn this on. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That is scary. That is literally God telling us that comfort can actually be a curse or allowing us to, you know, giving us over to just what we sinfully want or find comfort in, if only for a while, can actually be a curse of God. Dear brother, dear sister, as I see the book of Acts so clearly, God is building his church through what we deem to be, you know, good ways. I can also see him working clearly in what we seem to call the bad ways, like trials like this, the persecution and killing of Christians. Even then, Jesus Christ is building his church. Dear brother, dear sister, when, when God our shepherd leads us to green pastures, we may very well learn there to, to enjoy him for who he is. When he prepares a table before our enemies and he's with us, walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death, I think that is the moment where we actually learn to trust God fully, that he's with us, even in those circumstances. Now, let me tell you this. Comfort is not always a blessing from God and neither are trials always a curse from God. Sometimes it is comfort that is our biggest enemy to growing in the faith and finding our true joy in Jesus because we are distracted by all the things around us. You know, that we ride comfortably and without hindrance down a road that's so well paved and decorated, but actually that road leads us to eternal death and damnation. And sometimes trials come and they are God's grace to wake us up and remind us that we live in a fallen world, that this, worth is, that this world is not worth living for. We have to remember to see each moment in context to eternity in the joy that is to come. But how is it 
that it can be so easy for us to lose perspective of eternity and just be super focused on today and not to see it in perspective. Like for instance, how many of us actually skipped telling someone we know about our faith because we knew that there might be a little bit of pushback we don't know how they would react. We don't know if they would actually cease to be our friend or re- respond in a mocking tone or, or just you know general fears. How many of us have actually skipped opportunities to talk about Jesus because of that? When we consider these costs in light of eternity, are they really that steep? Is the, is the price really that high? Even, even, if we take, even if we take that, which may seem small, like, okay, we can take some mockery and so on, and we move it to something that looks at least from a physical perspective to be a rather large sacrifice, like James sacrificing his life. When he views that sacrifice in light of eternity and what he's about to gain and what he has in Jesus Christ, can we truly say that sacrifice is a lot Do you think a million years in eternal bliss down the road, James will be thinking about the sacrifice that he had to make to be there and thinking that this was not worth it? No, brothers, sister. There's no way that's going to be happening. Is losing popularity, is losing friends and jobs really a price that is too steep to pay? When, when it means that we have been faithful to the Savior that bled for us and was humiliated for us. See that James here is following in the footsteps of Jesus. He's suffering for Jesus and Jesus suffered for him. He is dying for the good of others as a faithful witness. Of course, he can never do what Jesus did because Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died to pay my debt and the sin that I had racked up so that I can stand before the judgment seat of God fully comfortable and knowing that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my judge, but he's also my defender. If you're out there and you're not a Christian, this is the the core of the message that we proclaim. That Jesus Christ, we are all sinners except for Jesus who lived the perfect life, who came to die for us so that he can take on my punishment and my sin and my debt. The Bible tells us literally that we are all sinners. That we have all failed the test of God. And inwardly, you know that. If you're not perfect, you're a sinner. But there's a problem there because God one day will judge us and he will judge us according to his standard and his standard is perfect. He is perfect. The only way for us to have hope in that circumstance is to point to Jesus and say, he has paved the way he has paid my debt. Now, I truly believe that human beings often behave very much like sponges, right? That we, that we sit and we soak in our surroundings. That what we are influenced, uh, the people that we hang out with, the ideas that we flirt with, the entertainment that we watch or enjoy, the culture that we live in. Sometimes, you know, we just sit there and it sort of pours into us. Uh, yeah, and we're like sponges. We just kind of eat it all up and maybe without really knowing it. And then when trials come, it is like a a sponge being squeezed. The pressure comes and what is inside of us is revealed. 
Now, some of us may be very willing to sing God's praises when we are in the green pastures of life or the, on the mountaintops of life and everything is going awesomely. You know, and we're just like, man, God is so good. Life is good. But what happens when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death? What happens in our trials? Does our worship grow silent? Does our obedience cease when there's a little bit of cost that comes with it? May it not be so of us. When we are squeezed like sponges, may we be fully stored up of praises to God because we've spent time in his word, we've spent time communicating with him, laying down our burdens with him, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Because ultimately, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though we were on the mountaintops yesterday and now we're in the valley, he's the same. And if he deserved the praise yesterday, he deserves the praise now. Now, I think about the sacrifice of James, especially in context with our modern thinking of living in the moment or enjoying the here and now. And I think how weird it is that James was willing to sacrifice his here and now because he saw it in context. It's as if he cracked the code and discovered a secret that he, in here and now, can only truly be enjoyed and appreciated when we see it in context with eternity and with what Christ has done. Because ultimately, even though you live in the moment, you don't want to live for the moment. You want to live for Jesus Christ. Now, when I see the faithful suffering of our brothers and sisters in our text today and Peter's willingness, even after he sees James being beheaded, his willingness to continue speaking the word of God, to continue to proclaim the message of Jesus, their witnesses reveal to us that they could lose property. They could lose respect. They could lose reputation, their safety, their comfort. They could even lose their own life. But as long as they had Jesus, they considered it gain. Now I'm left with questions to ask myself and questions that we can ask ourselves. Questions like, is my comfort causing me to be so comfortable that I am avoiding any disruption of that comfort? Am Am I not being bold in loving Jesus and loving like Jesus because it could cost me respect, friends, social points, material gains? Another question like, is your faith, is your Savior worth suffering for? Does he deserve our praises not only when life is going awesomely? I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm sticking to it. Does he deserve our praises when life is going awesomely and also when it's going pretty badly and difficulty comes up? And That may also be a great question for you if you're out there and you're watching and you're not a Christian. What do you believe in? What is your faith? Are, are, are you looking for something that is actually worth suffering for, actually worth living for, even worth dying for? Look no further. 
You found it in Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about some religious system. You found it in Jesus Christ. He is love. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Really, you have not experienced life until you experience it in Jesus Christ. Until you see this momentary suffering, this momentary gladness, this momentary blessing in context with the whole story of what God is doing and has done and will do. Brothers and sisters, I am encouraged by the witness of James and the faithfulness of Peter who point to the supreme value of being found in Jesus no matter what the cost. I am encouraged by Jesus building his church even in the most brutal of circumstances, especially as we find ourselves in this weird circumstance around COVID. And it makes me hopeful that he can do so here in Iceland. Because you, you look at the thousand-year history of Christianity here in Iceland, there's not been a whole lot of bright spots where a lot of people just, you know, the church is flourishing, the people are just coming to faith and growing in faith and so on and so forth. But I'm looking at what God does here in the book of Acts, and I'm hopeful for what he's going to do in our church and in our country. May he build his church May people come to faith and grow in faith and grow in faithfulness to Jesus no matter the cost. And may we, as his church, not only pray for great things to happen and for a great awakening to happen, but also may we be able to stand firmly and stand as faithful witnesses as our brothers and sisters have done before us. Brothers and sisters, Count it all joy when you walk through various trials because God has a plan in them even when you don't see what it is. Now let me read Romans 8 for you as we go into this week. And let's remember that no matter what we face, good or bad, comfort or trials, we have a loving God who will make it work out for our good. So let me read these awesome, encouraging verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is an encouraging verse. Jesus is building his church no matter how circumstances change. He's worthy of our praises today, yesterday, and forever. May we be found faithful. May we be encouraged by the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters. And may we be found faithful like Peter. Even when we see their sacrifice and the the things that we risk in following Jesus, may we take the risk gladly because we know that Jesus is worth it. So there it is. Uh, that is the message for today. Let me pray for us. And, and please feel free to comment on this video um, about anything that, uh, anything that we can be praying for you, uh, praying with you about, or if God's doing something amazing in your life and you just want to share it with your church. I'm going to read it after my prayer and let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for the faithfulness of Peter 
I thank you for the willing sacrifice of James. I thank you for their testimony to us of your great value, no matter the cost. God, may we seek to learn and to know that whatever is taken away from us, if we lose respect and reputation or social points or even jobs or material gains due to following you, may we see that ultimately, no matter what we lose, if we have Jesus Christ, we consider it gain. Because your son, Jesus Christ, is more valuable than anything that this world can offer. It is a deeper treasure that can satisfy not only for a moment like earthly goods do, but you can satisfy for eternity. You can satisfy our screaming souls that want something more than this life can offer and points to the fact that we were made for another life. Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And I ask of you, as we see their faithfulness and their willingness to sacrifice, as we go into this week, may we be willing to sacrifice and praise you. May we be willing to worship you with our lives, in our actions, and with our words. Make us faithful witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have some prayer requests. Austis. Um, Icelandic sisters, he wrote here, You need, yeah, 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 that's, that's a good point. You need strong bones to, uh, to, to experience or to tolerate good days. Well, that does not translate well to English. Anyways, prayer, uh, here we go. Hildur, prayer request for a friend to help their family open their hearts, minds, and ears to the good news. Amen. Uh, Hildur 2.0 for me. Pray for my treatment. My medication is still not available. Pray I make good use of the time I have without side effects, but also that God would protect me from the brain tumor growing. Amen. Let's pray for your your healing as well. Uh, Elliot, pray that Jesus would build his church here in Iceland. Pray that Lofstone would grow, not for the sake of numbers, but that we would grow as disciples of Jesus. Um, Sara Cervantes prays for COVID numbers going uh, down a little bit more and that we are no longer a COVID hospital, hospital as many wards are now free from it. Uh, prayers for my visa and my trip to come next weekend. Amen. And thank you so much, Sarah, Sarah for uh, for serving at the hospital. Uh, we, th- we thank you so much for it. Um, and let's pray for the hospital staff and the leaders of this nation and also just for, for COVID to, to stop so that we can gather again. Uh, I mean, our fourth child is due to come here sometime in December, probably late December. And I'm just like, man, I really want to gather with my faith family b- before uh, before life gets disrupted. And I probably won't you know, be able to gather after that for a couple of weeks. But man, uh, yeah, let's pray for, for our country. Uh, Mauricio, praise God. We are having a church service in the building for the next uh, for the first time since March here in Costa Rica. Wow. Since March. Here I am complaining about us, man. 
Brother, I am excited for you. That is awesome. I'll be praying that you guys would be encouraged and uplifted and uh, that the church there would be built up as well. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we can come before you and we can lay down our burdens, that you are greater than any difficulty that we face, that any sacrifice that you may require of us, Jesus is more valuable and worth it. Father, I pray for for our families and friends to be open to the good news of the gospel, for us to be bold and seeking opportunities to love them like Jesus and also tell them about Jesus. Father, help us be fearless um, and, 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 uh, <laughs> and realizing the balance between being fearless and annoying <laughs> and, and the wisdom required there, not just only be ready to speak, speak, speak all the time, but also just be ready to be led by your Holy Spirit and be equipped by your word so that we have wisdom in circumstances. So help us speak boldly when you require of us to speak, when you are giving us opportunities to help us serve faithfully help us lay down our lives for others help us um, glorify jesus christ in and through our life help us grow in our knowledge of the word father just help us father i pray that you would be with the hospital staff that you would protect them i thank you so much that numbers are going down in our country for COVID. i thank you for mauricio and i i praise praise you for the fact that they get to gather for the first time since march of this year and i pray that the church there in costa rica would be encouraged and uplifted uh, i pray for our government to give them wisdom on how to lead through this and navigate through this difficult time and God, I, I, I pray for just COVID numbers to go down so that we can gather again, that we can worship again in person, that we as a faith family can be mutually encouraged by the faith of one another. So Father, be with us. Um, help us grow in our knowledge of you and not only be theologically fat and, and not do anything with it, but help us put our faith into practice. Give our faith feet so that we would go out to not only know you and love you, but to love like you and be your representatives. So Father, be with us as we go into this week. Bless us, cause your face to shine upon us and be with us. Help us remember no matter what the cost, you are worth it. God, I pray for our sister, for our sister Hildur. I pray that you would uh, heal her. I pray that this tumor would just go away so that we as a faith family can just worship you and praise you together. Um, I, I thank you for this time that she has got no side effects. And I just, man, would you, I pray ultimately take this tumor away. Take this tumor away and don't let it grow. Don't let it fester. Take it away. Father, I thank you that we can come before your throne and we can lay down our desires and that you're a good, good father. You're such a great father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it has been a joy to be with you today. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And I, I pray that you would be blessed as you think about these verses and these truths this week. And I pray that we as the Church of Christ, as we are scattered throughout this country and, and elsewhere in the world as we have Mauricio joining us from Costa Rica. I pray that, that we would be faithful in not only gathering together as a church or as families, but also to scatter well and remember that each and every one of us were representatives of Jesus. So represent Jesus well this week 
even if it costs us something. Let's look for opportunities to live in the moment, but not for the moment, and, 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 and seek to be faithful followers of Jesus, no matter the cost. I am so thankful for you guys. I miss you guys, and I am so, so longing for the day when we can do this in person. Um, glad the live stream worked out. God bless you as you go into this week. Let's remember that our worship does not cease on a Sunday, but we we uh, a new week has just begun. So let's joyfully celebrate this week. Let's let's walk with the, in the peace of of God that surpasses all understanding, and let's be faithful witnesses. God bless you guys.